Good morning. I wore my Durban shirt. How's that? It was a gift for me, so I thought I'd wear it. But uh, it is really great to be here in your third building. I did clarify today with uh, Glendon and Candice that it is your seventh year of running. Uh, your church started at the same year, same weekend as our church started in Durban, and another friend of ours just uh, around the corner. So there's lots of similarities and lots of special sentiment that goes with it. But uh, one thing we must remember with the, the church and the kingdom of God is that we're not sentimental in the kingdom of God. We're grateful and we look back with uh, much gratitude in our hearts, but the kingdom of God is surging forward. And so we, we latch hold of that. Uh, I, I want to say a few things just in introduction and then we're going to get into a very uh, innocuous little text today that I, I hope is going to just open up a, a world for us. Uh, and I'll get into that in, in, in a moment. Firstly, uh, many of you will know that I've had health issues. So last year was a really tough year for me. In, in uh, March, end of March, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had uh, brain cancer, three tumors in my brain, inoperable, and uh, put a, gr a great halt to everything life-giving. Uh, work, ministry, family, uh, it was quite a... Uh, tough time for us. Uh, the challenge was that the tumors, I've had a brain operation before, I had cancer in 2017, but the challenge was that the tumors were inoperable. And so there was only uh, one hope of treatment, which medical aid doesn't cover, etc., etc. And uh, we weren't 100% sure what to do, and my health was just plummeting, getting worse and worse. And uh, by God's grace and the generosity of many people, um, We've been able to go into treatment, which I've been on for about six months. And uh, the last scan I had in October showed that one of the tumors has resolved. Another one is down by 70% and another one down by 50%, which is amazing. And um, this is my, you can give God a hand for that. <coughs> this, why it's exciting to be with you today is this is my first trip actually traveling out since I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so I only started preaching again in November. I had to stop uh, all uh, public ministry, in a sense. And uh, so it's been a, a bit of a rehabilitation process last year. Uh, I'm going for a scan on Thursday again and really trusting that there will be a clear bill of health. But one thing I've learned through this process is just that God has His way, and His ways are higher than our ways, and we can stop in our tracks and allow things to take hold of us and just buffet us and knock us to, our, to the ground. But uh, one thing happened in about July last year, I was in hospital, and I was particularly down, just looking at my future, I'd had a seizure, and the prospects weren't looking very good to do with my life, actually, and I was looking at my three boys and my wife, and I, I guess my mental health wasn't in the best space, and uh, late one night, after 10 o'clock, um, I began to uh, watch this worship session uh, of a song, it says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I saw hundreds and thousands of these people with their hands in the sky worshiping this invisible God, uh, singing this song. And I thought to myself in that moment, actually, this is the God that I've preached for 20 years. Uh, he is our hope. And actually, this, there is hope in Jesus. And I felt God asked me the question, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've got three weeks left, if you've got three months left, if you've got three years left, what's it going to look like? And uh, there was such hope knowing that actually beyond the grave, 
we have eternal life in, in Christ if we've put our faith in Him. And uh, I felt God saying to me very clearly at that time, I was at my sickest then, is don't self-preserve. Pour yourself out. Whatever you can do toward my kingdom and my glory, just pour yourself out as best you can. And there'll be limitations to that, but give it a go. And uh, God's been gracious in uh, bringing me to this point in terms of my strength. But it's been amazing to see also the life and the fruitfulness that comes when we realize that actually we don't need to be the perfect package in God's hand. We just need to be an instrument in His hand. And uh, so some of us here today, uh, you might say, sure, I don't have a story like you, Mark. Well, let me say this, is that your story is as real to you as my story is to me. And uh, I felt like I've been limping my way the last few months and, and maybe years, but I've come to this realization is that God loves to use a man and a woman with a limp because actually uh, the focus is not on them, the focus is on Him. And so uh, that's where we start out today. So I'm excited. This is my first weekend out. I'm with Hope City Church. And uh, you, you, guys, you guys move buildings. How's that? Eh? You guys are like progressive and innovative and just doing new things all the time. It's really exciting. <clears throat> I want to share a word for this church uh, just up front. Uh, I was walking on a building site uh, about three days ago, and it was with a friend of mine. He said, hey, have you seen my building site? So I said, no, I actually haven't. So we walked up this road, and you know, a building site's pretty messy. Uh, I was actually in my slops. I was hot. I was bothered. I didn't actually want to see the building site, but I was humoring my friend. And uh, we went up into this obscure little piece of land behind his house. And uh, what he had done is he has sectional titled this little piece of land. And he's, it, it's on a massive slope. He's taken a TLB and it worked for, for a week nonstop. There were truckloads of sand that had to be removed. And uh, he's gone down and he's gone up and he's gone up again. And uh, we, we're standing on his building site, and he's showing me all the things. There's a double garage there. There's a kid's playroom there. There's an outside room there. If you just knock a wall through and we sell it, um, it can be another room. Uh, then he says, we walk up the stairs here. This is the, the platform. There's going to be an open plan kitchen and uh, a scullery, and this is going to be our lounge area and our patio, and uh, over there is going to be a pool. Now, all that's there is a concrete floor. That's all that's there. And I'm like, Awesome. I'm trying to visualize it. It looks amazing in his mind. In my mind, it's just dirt and concrete. And uh, at the end of it, I'm thinking to myself, where are they going to live? Because he hasn't described that to me yet. And he says, and by the way, there's still another story going on top. And uh, what, what he's done is he's taken a very small piece of land and uh, he's got creative and he's built and building a triple story house. Because he can't go wide, he's gone up. I mean, it has the same impact and the same effect. And I just felt uh, for, for you guys today, firstly, um, I wanted to say to Glendon is that the, the role of a visionary is to take the obscure land and to see. And I feel like God just wanting to give you a new, a new pair of spectacles or a new season to be able to see. Uh, obscurity and that obscure land, it almost feels like it's, it's pressed in a corner. It feels like it's, nothing good would come from it. it. It was all on a slope, and it was bush. But someone was able to see. And because of that, an asset is built that will bring life to a family and actually can be sold for 
it, it's created wealth. And I feel like God wanting to today to anoint you with a new ability to see. Even though you pressed and maybe you, you look at your own capacity at times, God, that, that's not, it's not the doing, it's the seeing that God wants to give you an ability to, to do. And then I want to talk to the elders and the leaders here. The thing that was very apparent about this building site was that there was loads of preparation that was necessary. So as I walked around, I was amazed at how long it took to move all the sand and to create the platform. And then it's retaining walls and retaining blocks and like reinforcing. And it's, it was a lot that went into just putting the infrastructure in before they could even pour foundations. And this is what I felt for the elders and the leaders is that that, that preparation, it's very necessary and don't take shortcuts in leading God's people. When we take shortcuts, there's casualties. And a real encouragement from God to, to do the unseen work, the work that actually, it, it's not pretty, uh, but it, it, it holds up the building and it holds up the, the walls down the road. I remember seeing, uh, you might have heard of this accident that took place in um, KZN where a big tanker truck uh, his brakes failed, and he was going down the M13 highway, and he went through a robot, and I think there was something like 36 or 40 casualties as he just smashed up cars, and it was brutal what happened. And they had it all on camera, I think from in the tanker, and there was a, a camera there next to the traffic light. So you could actually go and watch it, and you think that, that is so sad what happened. When you drive that road, you come down the M13, now you picture it, this man has got failed brakes, and where he went through, there was an off-ramp there, and the off-ramp takes you to a robot, and the other side of the robot, it takes you straight back onto the M13. If he had have carried on the M13, the whole gradient just flattens out, actually. And I remember driving it, knowing where the scene of the accident was, driving on the M13 round the corner, thinking to myself, there's no gradient here. If he had have just held on and gone around the corner, the, the, the casualties would have been averted. Often what can happen in our life is that because it's hard and because it's scary, because we're fearful, we look at an off-ramp and we say, this is the way I'm going to get through and, and casualties are created. And God's encouragement to us today as leaders, as people, as His people is hold on to that steering wheel. Hold on to him. Uh, the gradient will flatten out and he'll get you around the corner. And then the third thing I want to say out of that is just uh, when I was standing on that platform of that building, it was the surprise of when I'd seen everything that had been done. He said, oh, and there's another story coming on top. I feel like for this church is that there's some surprises coming. There's some surprises coming. And this is what the surprises are. We don't know. I, I mark this day, and I, I'm not a prophet, but I feel like you, you might look back in the weeks and months to come and might look back and say, oh my gosh. We never anticipated that happening. We never anticipated God putting another story on top of us. We never anticipated having to go to two meetings we never anticipated having to have four bands 
because there's so many musicians. We never anticipated having to start so many groups because there's so many people giving their life to Christ. And that's God's partnership with us. And so we do our bit and he does his bit and that's how partnership works. Now I want to say another thing before I start preaching. Uh, coming into this church, I'm not a guest speaker. For many of you that I've known for a long time, uh, we're friends of this church. But I think it's important to say that we, we partner with this church as well. And uh, we, we felt uh, today... Uh, for myself and Justine, that our church is going to sow 10 grand into your carpets, okay? So that's, it's nominal. It's very little. I think it's going to carpet just the back little corner there, okay? I don't know, okay? But I'm putting that on record here today because I want you to know that we're here to partner with you. We're not here just to preach a message to bless your ears. We want to sow into that. The other thing that we're going to do, I'm going to ask my wife to come forward quickly with my phone and... Uh, maybe, I don't know whether Albert, you've done the same from the back. But this is how we partner as well. I'm going to just get the camera out there. We've got a church back home. We've got a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. And uh, while I was preparing this morning, I actually thought to myself, this is how we partner as well. We partner in prayer. And so on Tuesday night, we're praying. And I've said to the guys, come, bring your horse, your donkey, your kid, anyone, come and pray. If you've never been to a prayer meeting, come and pray. And you know who and what they're going to pray for? They're going to pray for you. And they're going to pray for your building. And they're going to pray for provision. And so if we can take a picture right now, uh, do you want to just take the picture of the people? We don't need to be in it. It would be better, be better if we're not in it. Come back a bit. Photoshop. There we go. Okay. Thanks, Just. This is what Philippians 4 verse 19 says. It says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Okay, but I've been working through this with my children. But another translation says this, God will supply your needs according to his unlimited riches. There's some unfinished business here to do with this building. Let me remind you firstly, the church is not a building. It's people. Okay. So if it stays unfinished for a little while, it's okay. Keep coming and keep serving God with all of your heart. But let's, let's look at this. Is there some good needs here in this church that need to be finished? Why? So that we can preach the gospel effectively. And this is God's promise. He doesn't give us all our wants. But when it comes to our needs, He has an unlimited riches. And He's our provider. And so as we partner with each other, with Him, I really believe that God's going to provide for you to bring this to completion and fruition. Amen. Wow, I'm nearly done with my preach. I'm looking at the time here. I'm going to shoot through this uh, very quickly. <clears throat> the seventh year in the Old Testament was a Sabbath year. So you guys have done seven years, right? So if you go back to Leviticus 25, there's two things that they talk about. They, they talk about a Sabbath year if you owned land, on that Sabbath year, you had to rest your land. It means you did no sowing, no pruning, no reaping. Uh, all that you did was whatever was produced, you could live off it, but that was it. So that's provision, right? That meant that from the sixth land, uh, sorry, the sixth year, you had to trust God that, oh my, 
oh my Lord, I'm trusting that something arrives in the seventh year because I've got flocks, I've got all sorts, but that was the law of God. It's the seventh year for this church. And uh, God wants to show you his provision this year. The thing that happened, the second part of Leviticus 25, is that it talks about the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was the 50th year, and that was made up of seven cycles of seven. So every seven years, you celebrated the Sabbath, and after seven cycles of those seven years, you got to the 49th year, and then he says, on the 50th year, you to declare it a Jubilee year. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, and you shall consecrate the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. So this church and our church back at home in Durban, we're celebrating the Sabbath year, uh, in a sense, uh, it's seven years. Our church, though, as a whole, One Life Church, we've been going for 50 years. How's that? Planted in 1973, and it's our jubilee year. It's quite interesting to to study some of these principles. Now, I want to have a look at what are these principles, and there's an application for every single person in society today. Firstly, when that Jubilee year took place, all debts were canceled. Imagine. I mean, imagine your house bond just like, whomp, down, zero. HP on your car, bang, it's yours. It would be amazing. A bit more of a scary one is that all prisoners were set free. Like, I'm not sure about that. Yeah? And then the third thing that happened is that all land was given back. So if it was in your family and it got, slay, it got acclaimed in any way, uh, a reset of society took place and you were given your land. And so you could uh, create wealth again, which was really good. Now, my first question, and this is my first major point, is what did the Jubilee year mean practically? I'll go through this quickly. Firstly, it stabilized the economy. It ensured that there was no greed or empire building. We played Monopoly when we were kids. I had a very clever brother. He always won. He always got that last street. He, he built his empire in Monopoly, and my bank just went down and down and down. Okay? That's kind of what happened with the Jubilee year. It ensured that empire building wasn't possible. Secondly, it prevented generational slavery, which was really a good thing. Uh, it meant that there was a hope, even in the worst of circumstances, if you were a slave and you had a child, it didn't mean that your child and your children's children were just going to be in this pipeline of slavery for all of their life. There was hope at the end of the road that actually they could too be free. Wasn't that good news? Uh, I love the fact that even this year, 19... 73 to 2023, amazing, personally for me, my dad became a follower of Christ and Jesus, in, a follower of Jesus in 1973. So he's passed on now, but that's 50 years of him bringing Jesus into our family. Crazy. Number three, <clears throat> what it did is that it pr provided economic guidelines and stability a marker was placed in the ground. Let's just say that Justine was a slave there. If she was bought as a slave on the first year after that Jubilee year, it meant that you could get 49 years of trade out of her, which meant that she was high value. Um, if she was bought 
two years to go until Jubilee, it meant you could only get two years, which meant that her, her value was a lot lower, which it created guidelines and stability around how they traded. And then fourthly, it guaranteed harmony and peace. If you had setbacks in life, it gave you hope for your future. One of my sons, he asked me the other day, he says, looking at me very seriously, he says, is life just hard? Profound question, eh? I mean, he's 13, and I'm like, it's not, whatever you're asking about, it's actually not hard. You're not dealing with real issues there. Son, you haven't even started adulting yet. But it's such a great question that is life just hard? And so the, this Jubilee system uh, helps. Uh, another thing that happens is that in the Jubilee, it showed God's nature. It showed that his, his mercy toward mankind, that he truly cared for them. And there was a system in place that considered individuals. It showed his sovereignty, which meant that actually over it all and under it all, God actually owned people and he owned land. Now, friends, we struggle with that. We struggle to consider that actually my life, when I give my life to Christ, when I become a follower of Christ, that actually my life is not my own. My life belongs to him. We, we've become enslaved to Christ now. We're not a slave to anyone else. We're, we're enslaved to Christ and actually my life is given to him. He owns my home. And so when a little 14-year-old says, would you mind if I used your house on a Friday night to open it up for a small group meeting? And you know, popcorn's going to be under the couch and they're going to you know, depreciate every valuable you've got. I, I look at that and I think to myself, actually, it's not mine. If it's for God's glory, let's go. And the other thing that we see is that God demanded justice. You couldn't just take advantage of a fellow man or Jew or lady by enslaving them forever or leaving them homeless. Uh, Jubilee motivated people to treat each other well. Imagine you bought a slave, you treated them badly for two years, and then the Jubilee hit. Uh, suddenly they're free now, and they're interacting with you. Uh, that, that doesn't go well. No, you're motivated by Jubilee that's coming up. Another thing that we see through this Jubilee is that Jubilee was a preview, actually, of Jesus. Uh, much of the Old Testament, the stories that you read, when you read them, they're shadows. They take you to a reality. So a shadow of a tree takes you to the tree, and you, you eat of the fruit of that tree, or the shadow takes you to the light. Light creates shadow. If we get too taken by the shadow, we miss the light. And so Jubilee was a shadow that was actually pointing to something greater than just a system every 50 years. And that light was Jesus. It was a Messiah. So in Isaiah 61, follow me for a few moments. Isaiah 61 comments on this year of Jubilee as being the Messiah. And this is what it says. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. What's being described there is a person. Isaiah is prophesying not just a time or a moral code. He's prophesying about a person. And at the end of it, this is what he says. This person will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay? So this is the Jubilee year. So Israel from that time forward, as they interact with this 
prophecy, they are expecting, they have this hope in their heart that a Messiah is coming that will proclaim this jubilee. It will be found in him. Okay, so my second major point is this. Jesus announced himself as fulfilling jubilee. This is good news. Now, you might remember this in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 4. It says there that Jesus entered the synagogue. Uh, the synagogue was packed. There was anticipation. It was a little bit fuller than this. It didn't have air cons. It was in the Middle East. It would have been humming. And it says that he, he's in his hometown in Nazareth and it's packed. I, I have this picture of like a wedding where, you know, the guests are all packed in and there's anticipation of the bride to walk uh, around the corner and uh, the wedding bells start ringing. And, and what he does is that he stands up while he's in, in the synagogue and he takes the scrolls and he asks for Isaiah 61. Now the people, they were very learned. So when he took Isaiah 61, they would have had bated breath. What is this about? And he begins to read this same prophecy from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news, etc., etc., to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he takes his seat and he says, this day, this day, the scripture is fulfilled in this place. Now, go back to the wedding analogy. What Jesus was actually saying, it was such a tripwire for the people. It made some of them so angry that they actually took him to the edge of a cliff and they, they wanted to throw him off the cliff because he was saying, actually, I'm your Messiah. They're like, no, 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 no. You're in your hometown. We know you, chap. We've seen you in action. You're just a carpenter. That's all you are. And he makes this profound statement. It's almost like the wedding bells start ringing and around the corner comes the most beautiful bride. And as you take a look at her, you realize that's not the bride we've got to know. It's a different lady. There'd be a rumbling in the crowd. They'd be like, this is not right. Some people would leave. Some people would be angry. And that's what happened in that moment. So he reads out, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is Jesus saying in that moment? And just stick with me for three or four more minutes. What is Jesus saying? He's saying in the old regime, the old covenant, you had to wait 50 years, seven cycles of seven until the reset button, the restore to factory settings took place. And then whew, uh, breathe a sigh of relief and actually you could get your freedom. He's saying, actually, no, you don't need to wait 50 years anymore. If you come to me in, and you're a captive, you can be set free. If you come to me and you're in debt, you can be set free. If you come to me and you're brokenhearted, I can heal you. If you come to me and you're sick, I can heal you. That is what Jesus is saying. And so that's why when we get up and we meet together in moments like this and we proclaim Jesus and we uh, pledge our allegiance to him, it's a big thing. Because Jesus is, he, he's compressed that system of 50 years into here and now. He says, now is your jubilee. And so my third point as I bring this to a close is what does this mean to us 
today? What does this mean to your life? What does it mean to, to my life? I think we need to consider the state of mankind today. The state of mankind, if we look at the scriptures, says that we're slaves to sin. So maybe slavery looks a little bit different, but we're enslaved to sin. The, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches that we're homeless. We've been separated from God because of our sinfulness. The Bible teaches that we owe God a great debt because of our lack of morality. And so mankind in general is in dire straits. But this same Jesus that stood up in the temple or in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 is still at work today. And what does he do and what does he say? He says, actually, I've come to free you from the slavery of sin. And this is how I do it. I bring forgiveness from sin. And not just forgiveness, but I give you the power to overcome sin by my Holy Spirit. I, I press the reset button within your life. He's paid for our debt on the cross. He hung on a cross. He paid for uh, your sins and my sins. He rose again from the dead. And that power is at work within us today for those who believe. Thirdly, He's given us a home here on earth. We were homeless outside of Christ, but He's given us a home through the church. And that's a beautiful community. And then fourthly, He's given us back our heavenly home. That's why, friends, death has no sting. That's why we have no fear of being united with Christ, the other side. And so Jesus is like the giant hand of God that Jesus embodies and extends toward mankind. He reaches into our space. We so often say, you know, I, when I gave my life to Christ, when I did this, when I did that, actually Jesus reaches to us and we surrender to that. And so, what does, uh, just in ending, one of the interesting facts about that old system was that when the Jews died in between Jubilees, whatever state they were in when they died, that's how they died. So if they were in a state of slavery, they remained in that state of slavery. If they didn't have land or their land had been given away, it remained like that. The reset button didn't happen for them and their family. And so you say, what does that mean for us? In a sense, it's a giant warning for us today that we should not remain without Christ while we're alive because after death, it's too late. There'll be no payment for sin or freedom from slavery. And so what does this mean for us today is there might be one person, there might be a handful of, of people here today that actually you've been looking at life and you've been saying, actually, how do I make sense of this all? I'd like to encourage you that today needs to be your first jubilee. Where you come to Jesus and say, actually, I recognize you as my Savior. I recognize you that, as, as my Lord. And I, I know that you've come to pay for the price of my sins. And I give myself to you. And last week, uh, I, I shared some of these thoughts with our church being jubilee. And I really felt it for you guys as well. There's a lady that put up her hand and said, it's my, it's my first jubilee. I said, what's that about? She says, I've been drifting in and out of church circles for years, but I've never crossed the line of faith and said, actually, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'd like to encourage you today in a moment, maybe the band can come forward, that uh, you're going to make a response if that's you. 
for those that have trusted in, in Christ, for those that have believed in, in Him, you, you've, you've come to Him for your first jubilee. You, you've had that reset button pushed. You've had your life restored to factory settings. And that's a beautiful thing. And God's begun to do His work within you. But I felt for us today, a second application is this idea of a second jubilee. Is that, you know, it's second chances. It's third chances. It's fourth chances. Sometimes we, we walk back into slavery. Sometimes we dabble in things that we we shouldn't have and we never did before. Sometimes we walk back into the shadows and we look back and think, wow, I've, I've, I've slidden so far from where I used to be. And I really feel like God today wants to press the reset button for you for a second jubilee. It's not a salvation issue. It's not, am I going to heaven? It's not that. But it's in your life and to do with your inheritance. God wants to give you as it were, inheritance for your life. He wants to give you another chance and say, come, come and begin to walk with me again. Begin to foster this relationship. Latch hold of my hand. I'm giving you another chance. Can we stand together? We're going to pray for a moment. I've rushed through that because of some of the things that I shared in the beginning. Uh, but... First Jubilee, you can imagine, was an incredibly joyous moment as freedom came to people where they had been enslaved. And for you today, if you're in a place where you know that you know, the, the, the salvation of God has never come to your life, and what I've said makes sense to a degree, and you want to respond to that and say, actually, I'm coming to this Jesus now. I want Him to save me. I recognize that He can forgive my sins and restore my soul. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We're going to pray. If you need to respond this morning and give your life to Christ, say, Mark, this is, this is the first time for me, my first jubilee, I recognize Jesus. I want to pledge allegiance to this King. He's worthy of my life. If that's you today, just while our heads are bowed, I want you to just put up your hand and wave at me. I'm going to pray for you. I'd love to do that. It would be a great privilege to pray for you and to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. Is there anyone like that? I'm just going to wait a moment. Anyone like that? And then I'm going to pray for a second group of people. Just while our heads are bowed, just do business with God for a moment. But if you really feel like that jubilee reset that we've spoken about, you you trusting God for in your life, for this year, for this moment, I'm going to pray for you. And I'd love to pray for you. Just that God would reset second chances to be a, a, a homecoming it would be a new moment a new page a new chapter in your life if that's you today why, why don't you just wave at me as well just say mark that's me the number of you number of you if that's you and you're responding i'm going to ask you to 
respond in your hearts firstly. And maybe, maybe if you're comfortable, raise your hands just in a sign of surrender or posture of surrender. You don't have to do that. But there's a number of people here that are saying, God, I need a reset of that freedom and that liberty. The reason I've preached this message today, I really felt God say to me, it's seven years and that seven year in cycles and cycles and cycles, it works toward a jubilee. The culmination of that is Jesus. Jesus, I pray in this moment that your power would come upon men and women in this place. Lord, thank you that you're speaking to men and women. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in our hearts. Thank you that you're tilling the soil. Thank you that we don't need to wait 50 years. Thank you that we haven't just missed the boat and it's year 51 or two and we've got to wait another whole generation until we can grab hold of the, the access to your power and that freedom. But thank you that that freedom can come now and in this place, oh God. And Father, I pray as men and women are, are crying out to you and holding up their, their hands and their hearts before your throne. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit would come upon them in this place. Thank you that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. And I pray that your spirit would be poured out in this place, Lord, without measure. I pray that you'd come and redeem and restore and renew minds and hearts in this place. Lord, thank you that the partnership that we have, Lord, we do our bit, but there's some things that only you can do. And I pray that you begin to do that right now, Lord. Pour into hearts, pour into minds, Lord. Break off shackles, Lord Jesus, where, where there have been addictions, Lord, where there's been hardships, where there's been, Lord, just the hard hearts. Father, I pray that those things will be changed in a moment. In Jesus' name, Lord, I remember back to when I was in July, Lord, just in such a state, and I encountered you. Father, we pray for encounter in this moment. Friends, just push in for a moment. Pray for encounter, Lord, where we'd be able to see you high and lifted up, oh God. Lord, we say today that we pledge our allegiance to you. Jesus is our King. We are followers of you. And Lord, in saying that, I pray that you'd unstop ears where we haven't been able to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. Unblock eyes or open eyes, oh God, that we're able to see what you're doing and what you're saying. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I think we're going to sing a song in a moment, but just begin to, to, to worship God with your words and from within. The Bible says that from within, streams of living water begin to flow. Allowed to flow from within. We worship you, Jesus Christ.